You are listening to a message from Foothills Church in Miraville, Tennessee. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com. All right, well, it's so good to see you guys here today. A lot of stuff going on at FC. If you've got your Bibles, let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. We're gonna look at a verse there. We're um, wrapping up a series uh, today. Next Sunday, super excited about next Sunday. We've got a guest speaker, one of my mentors, Danny Aiken. He's the president of the uh, Southeastern Seminary in Wake Forest, North Carolina. Great Bible teacher. He's gonna be here next Sunday and uh, super excited to hear what God has put on his heart. And uh, we are ending our series today. This is the the fourth part in this series that we're entitling More Than Numbers. And uh, in this series, my hope is that you've, you're beginning or maybe just reminded that when it, when it comes to honoring God faithfully with your resources, it's way more than numbers. It's way more than budgets and spreadsheets. In fact, the number part is the easy part. The hard part is, is managing your heart. And so we've been looking at ways in which that we manage our heart and what God is calling us to do um, with our resources and how to be a good steward. Uh, God owns everything. He, he created everything. And so our question has been, are, are we going to give him control of that? Uh, are we going to give him control of our finances? Today, I want to wrap up with just some, some practical uh, tips and some, some practical biblical uh, counsel on really how do we flesh this out and what do we actually do in order to make this a part of our life? And so we're gonna have to overcome some of you, some of the reasons why you aren't giving right now and why you're not living a life of generosity. And for some of you, you don't give because simply you, you haven't wanted to give. And so I hope this series has reminded you that um, God is in fact calling us to be generous and uh, we've looked at the word of God and, and hopefully you've been reminded of what that means for you. Some of you don't give because you just simply don't have a plan. And so uh, you don't have a plan or, or maybe you haven't taken the time to make a plan. And so really that's what today is, taking some time to think strategically, to be wise and to come up with a plan that you can live by that in fact will honor God and will bring financial freedom in your life. And the first church I pastored right out of seminary uh, was right across the street from a funeral home. And, and so every single day I could look out my window and I could see like the funerals that were taking place that week or that day and, and uh, did several funerals there. And through the course of 20 years in ministry, I've uh, been a part of several funerals and preached at uh, young people's deaths and older people and people who knew the Lord and people who didn't know the Lord. And, and so uh, when, when you come into those moments, though, it's, you never know like how it's going to go. But what I found to be true is that there's one thing that is always true at a funeral when someone's remembering a loved one. And, and uh, that is this, when, when people gather to remember the person that's passed away, I, I've never heard anyone get up and talk about how amazing this person was at accumulating wealth. I've never heard someone say, so-and-so was awesome because he was just so wealthy and he had so many cars and you know, he had all these really cool toys. And like, I, I've, I, I never have been a part of a, of a funeral where that was a part of the service. Like, we don't actually celebrate uh, uh, someone that accumulates wealth. What we celebrate is, is actually this ability to, to in, in, in fact, celebrate generosity. And so for many of us here today, like what I hope that you and I begin to understand is that generosity is what is celebrated. And if you guys can put that slide up, we don't, 
we don't get into this, this idea at funerals where we're celebrating what people have accumulated. We, we actually celebrate their generosity. And so as we think about that today, I want us to really begin to practically look at what it means to put God first. And so if you wanna write this question down, we, we, we wanna answer it today. What does it really look like to put God first? And so we, we can ensure that our heart is being managed. We can ensure that we are living a life of generosity. And so how do we do that? Well, um, in your scripture today, in 1 Corinthians 16, I wanna just read verse two, where it says this. It says, on the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income, saving it up, so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. All right, right there, simple verse. But in this one verse, what we're seeing is Paul instructing uh, the church in Corinth to begin to save some money, to give some money, to be generous, so that they can send that gift to the church in Jerusalem that had just experienced the famine and they were going through a lot of suffering and so they were collecting this offering for them. And, and in this one verse, we see three characteristics of, of how we should give. And so if you're taking notes, number one is simply this, giving should be consistent. He says very clearly on the first day of every week. So it ought to be regular, it ought to be consistent, it ought to be something that we do on a continual basis. That's why we gather every week on Sunday morning because the early church gathered on the first day of the week. It's the day that Jesus resurrected from the grave and so that's just tradition for us. And so every week, it's a regular offering. It's something that we should consistently do, not just sporadically, not just sometimes, but it ought to be a plan that you in fact live out. Here's the second thing. The second thing we see is that giving should be intentional. He says you should set aside a sum of money. So if you're gonna set aside a sum of money, that means that you're gonna have to think through it. It means that you're gonna have to be intentional. You've gotta have a plan. You've actually gotta think about it. You actually have to pray about it and, and, and come up and create from a biblical standpoint, what this actual plan will look like. Now, for many of us, here's what happens. If you don't plan, you save too little, you spend too much, and then you give whatever is left. I mean, that's really what the typical American, kind of how they live their life financially. Like they, they spend uh, way too much and they don't save any, and then if in fact they ever are generous, it's, it's whatever is left. Now listen, if you were to have some friends over, some, some, some guests over to your house tonight to have a dinner, um, and they were supposed to come at, let's just say six o'clock tonight, um, at 5.55, you don't look at your wife and say, hey, what, what, what were we gonna make for dinner tonight to feed our friends? I mean, you don't wait until that point, step one, right? And then if your wife doesn't look at you and say, I, I don't know, look in the fridge and see what we got in there. And then you open the fridge and it's like, well, there's some leftover like meatloaf from earlier this week. And she's like, take a whiff of it. See if it smells bad. <laughs> yeah, I think it's all right. All right, good. We'll serve that. <laughs> like you, you don't do that for your guests. When you're inviting them over to your house, you don't just serve them leftovers. So my question is why in the world do we often just give God the leftovers? Here he is, our savior. He has given us grace upon grace that we did not deserve. And here so many of us just give him whatever we have that's left over. 
Whatever we have that, you know what, I guess I can give this and there's no plan, there's no prayer. It's not wise stewardship and we can do better. God calls us to do better. And so the next step from this one verse is that giving should be percentage based. He says, in keeping with his income. So in keeping with his income means that it's a percentage. It means it's proportional to how God has blessed you. So if God has blessed you financially, then proportionally a percentage, you should determine what that is and you should give. So if you've been blessed with much, you should give with much. So now we come to a real question and, and we're like, okay, well, what is that percentage? What are we supposed to give at this point? And so last week we read a passage from Malachi in chapter three that I wanted to revisit today and, and, and kind of flesh out a few things I didn't have time for last week. Here's what God says to the people of God in Malachi three. He says, will a man rob God? And, and you know, he says, you are robbing me. And they say, how have we robbed you? And he says, in your tithes and contributions. He says, bring the full tithe into the storehouse and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord. And see if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. So what he's, what he's promising us is not to win the lottery. He's not promising us a, a, a luxurious million dollar home. What he's promising us is that you'll have no need. Like he will always provide for your need. Now listen, there are millionaires all over the country, world today, that have more needs than some of us here today that are being wise with our resources, right? And this is God's promise to us. And so he says, bring the whole tithe. And so tithe, we, we learned last week, just simply means 10%. And so if you're taking notes, if we wanna be faithful givers, Here's how we, this is the plan. This is how we plan it out and structure it. It's simply give God the first 10%. I am convinced that the first step for financial freedom in your life is to strategically start giving to the Lord 10% of your income. Um, I know the pushback from uh, this text is essentially one that says, you know what, that's Old Testament, Trent. Um, it's, it's not something that we live by anymore. And because of that, a lot of people say, we're not, we're not gonna follow that percentage stuff and, and uh, that's Old Testament. And, and of, of course, we are not living under the Mosaic law any longer. Jesus came and fulfilled the law. But even though he fulfilled the law, the question still has to be raised. What does in keeping with his income mean? What is the percentage that we are supposed to give? And so when we read the New Testament, Jesus says in Matthew 6, 17, he says, I haven't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. So Jesus fulfills the law. He perfectly fulfills it, does everything perfect. He was righteous 100%, never sinned, made him the perfect sacrifice on the cross. And so as he's fulfilling it, what he is also doing is he is raising the standard of it. So he says, hey, you've heard that it is said, do not commit murder, which is also old covenant, but we still understand the old covenant today, you know, in light of murder. We know that's wrong. And what, what Jesus does is he takes murder and he says, you've heard that that's, that's wrong. But what I'm telling you is anyone that has anger in his, in his heart is, is to be judged. He raises the standard. He says, you've heard that it is said, do not commit adultery. But, but what I'm telling you is anyone who looks lustfully at a woman has already committed adultery in his heart. 
So, so again, Jesus raises that standard. And so when we're thinking about this logically, if a Jewish person living under the Mosaic law in, in the old covenant is, is commanded and called to give 10% who has not experienced the grace and forgiveness and love of Jesus Christ, how much more should a materialistic culture who has experienced the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ and experienced the hope of heaven through his salvation, how much more should we then be willing to give? So that's why I teach and why I believe and why I have always practiced that the idea of tithing is a place that we start at. It is not a place that we end at. Like as a, as a believer, when I first became a Christian, I, I hope, you know, when I became a Christian at 16, like that I've grown in my faith since then. I, I hope that I'm a better leader. I hope that I'm more mature in many ways than when I was 16. So, so why in the world would I not wanna grow in the area of my giving as well? Like I don't wanna do the same thing and act the same way and do the same things that I did when I first became a Christian at 16. Like I hope in all areas I'm, I'm growing and that would include giving and so my wife and I were, were consistently looking at, okay, here's, here's 10%, that's where we're gonna start, but then what else can we do and how else can we be generous in these other areas of our life? Uh, Jesus was actually, um, uh, he, he was confronting the Pharisees one day and he actually talks about tithing in Matthew 23. He says this, woe to you scribes and Pharisees, you're hypocrites, for you pay tithe of mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law. What are the weightier matters? Whoops, I jumped ahead. He says, justice and mercy and faith. He says, these you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. So what he is saying is, you should focus on the harder things like justice and mercy and faith. Those are the hard things. Those are the things you, you've gotta begin to press into and grow in without ne neglecting, without leaving the others. What are the others? Tithing. So Jesus had the perfect opportunity to abolish tithing at that point. But he doesn't, he, he actually encourages, encourages it. He, he actually allows it to be something that he wants us to do in this. And so, yeah, we gotta get to the weightier matters of our, of our growth. We've gotta grow in our faith. We've gotta grow in justice. We've gotta grow in mercy. Those are the hard things. Jesus is like, the tithing part should be easy. That's where we should start. And that's how we should then look to then grow from. So first step in our plan here is to give God 10%. Here's the second step. You give yourself the next 10%. So give yourself, that just simply means you save, you're investing that next 10% for yourself. Um, according to the American Savings Education Council, one in five people have nothing in their savings account. <laughs> Zero. That means there are a lot of people in this room who have nothing in your savings account. You are actually living paycheck to paycheck. And if that's, if that's you today, let me just ask you this question. Like, who do you, who do you go to work for? What, what motivates you to go to work? I know what most people would say is, well, I go to work to provide for my family. I wanna take care of my family. And, you know, I wanna give my kids this and give my wife and my, you know, be, be, be a contributing factor to, to, to my, the health of my family. But, but here's the reality. If, if you're living paycheck to paycheck, you're not saving anything for yourself, you're not giving anything to God consistently, then essentially when you go to work, you're working for the credit card companies, 
the banks and the lenders that you owe money to. And so to be a healthy, financially free follower of Jesus, it's essential that you start to get this thing correct. It's essential that you get rid of that credit card debt. You stop living paycheck to paycheck. You stop running this rat race and trying to measure yourself up to what everybody else is experiencing, what you think everybody else is experiencing. And you begin to pay off that credit card debt so that you can create that margin to actually give yourself that next 10%. Um, here's, a little, here's a little like math uh, deal for you because the, the average uh, credit card debt uh, amongst Americans is somewhere between eight to 12,000. And, and, and so if that's true, there's a lot of people in here that have overextended themselves. And, and, and so they're, they've got credit card debt. And so, so let's just look at what typical Americans do. If you've got a credit card balance of $8,400, you're paying 18% interest on that. So young people, that means every single month, 18% of, of, of $8,400 is, is, is the fee that's, that's added to what you already owe. And so what most Americans do is that they pay the minimum payment. And so the minimum payment sounds really cool, doesn't it? Oh, I've got this credit card debt, but all I have to pay this month is X amount. But the reality is if you only pay the minimum, here's the amount of money that you're gonna have to pay. It's essentially gonna cost you 20, over $20,000 to actually pay that $8,000 credit card off if all you do is simply pay the minimum. Not only that, but it's actually gonna take 30 years for you to pay it off. That is not faithful stewardship. I don't care who you are, that's not smart. And so young people in the room, step one, don't use credit cards. <laughs> Just save yourself from the future fights and the divorces that tend to happen because of mismanaging money in your future. But secondly, if you have credit card debt, start getting rid of it. Dave Ramsey calls it the debt snowball. And essentially what he recommends is that you take your lowest debt and you attack it. Whatever you can do, you sell stuff to have money to pay off that, that lowest debt. Whatever it is, whether it's credit cards or school loans or whatever it is, attack it and, and move and downsize houses. Uh, sell your car and get a cheaper car. Whatever you have to do to attack that debt, to get rid of it. Because that debt will always linger, it will always enslave and entrap you until you get to a point to where it's gone and you release it and you get your heart into an area where you can begin to be faithful with what God has given you. So first 10% goes to God, next 10% goes to yourself. And if you've got debt, then that 10% goes to debt until it's paid off, then you can start giving it to yourself. Here's the third step that I would encourage you to do. Automate everything, automate everything. Now, what I mean by this is for many of us, when it comes to a financial strategy, we uh, jump to a budget. We gotta get our budget, we gotta get our projections, we gotta get our strategy here, right? And so we get to the budget, and then after like a few weeks or even a month, you know, you come back and you realize that you're pretty terrible at following a budget. We're pretty terrible at, you know, self-control and, you know, we create the budget and it looks great on the screen, but, but at the end of the day, there are only a few people in the room that can actually follow a budget well. The rest of us just suck at it, all right? Can we just admit that today? And so what we need to do 
is we need to create a system that doesn't depend on you following a budget and your self-discipline. You've gotta have a plan and a system that once it's set up, you don't have to think about it. You don't have to fight about it with your spouse anymore. You don't have to you know, arm wrestle each other for who's gonna get what this week. You don't have to strategize any longer. You create the plan and then in freedom, you can step away and say, okay, okay, okay. We have debt, we have these bills. Here's what we've done. We've sold some stuff. We've gotten this taken care of. Now we're, we're, we're automating it. We're living this plan, right? Our, our bills are automated, right? So our bills get taken care of. Um, our savings account is automated because we've told the HR department at work, hey, I want you to put this amount of money in, into this account. By the way, if you don't do that, very smart to give yourself that percentage if you don't have debt. Like, hey, instead of my checking, put this in savings so I don't touch it. Um, give to your church and automate that at FC. Go to the website, sign up for the ACH. That's from your bank account. Don't use a credit card because that just costs more money. So bank account automates it. Don't have to think about it anymore. Now, we can joke and laugh about our government and how you know, so many things they do is, is silly, but there's one thing that they got right. Um, let me back up before 1943 how it was. Uh, before 1943, essentially you made your income, you got paid, and then every spring the government said, okay, now it's time for you to pay your taxes. Well, what the government realized is that we're pretty terrible at budgeting our money and being able to pay our bills that way. And so what they did was really smart. They began to automate our taxes. That's why every paycheck you get, you see all those things, Medicare and, and uh, you know, um, Social Security and FICA. And I remember, you know, when you're a teenager, that first check, you're like, who's, who's FICA? He's taking my money, you know, freaks us out. And, and so we, we see all of this and it's like 27 cents in federal income tax out of every dollar that we make. The government automates, just took it from you. You didn't even see it. If you lived in another state, you know that there's state income taxes, that's another 5%, five, 5%, boom, gone. You don't even see it. You know, once you get to Social Security, Medicare, and all these un, unemployment taxes and all this kind of stuff, you know, it's somewhere in the range of 30 to 40 cents of every single dollar that we make, whew, gone. We don't even see it. Why? They automated it, right? And so what, what, what I think, what I'm trying to tell you is the reason why they've done that is that ensures that they get the money that they expect. What's even more brilliant is that they always take more than what we owe, so that this time of year in April when we do our taxes, we get money back, and we're like, oh, I get a, I get a return. Thank you, government, for giving back my money. It was mine. You took it. I didn't even give it. It's really a smart. They automated. So that's why I would say one of the greatest things that you could take away from today is to not only put God first, automate that, automate it, and then give to yourself next, automate that. Um, if you've got debt, automate the, the payments toward that debt to begin to build that debt snowball and uh, get yourself in a position where you can actually experience financial freedom. Now, number four, and lastly, it's not rocket science, right? You get to budget the remaining 80%. I know this isn't like some grand, oh man. I mean, you probably were taught this when you were a kid, right? You've heard this before, <laughs> but why don't we do it? Why don't we do it? Why don't we live by it? 
I mean, it makes sense. But once we, once we begin to do this and automate it, we can begin to experience financial freedom in our life. You begin to tell your money where to go instead of your money telling you what to do all the time. Instead of working for the bank and working for the credit card companies that you owe money to, you start actually working for your family. You start actually uh, being motivated by that. Now, some of you at 80%, you're still like, man, that's for me, I'm, I'm very blessed. I, I have a lot of money and uh, 80% is still a lot, Trent. So I'm kind of thinking about what else am I supposed to do? Am I just supposed to spend it all on myself? And thinking the series, we've kind of covered that, but I would say, where's your heart? If your heart is in, you know, world evangelism, let's talk about planning a church overseas in Africa or London. If your heart is here in Blount County, let's talk about, let's, let's talk about building a, a counseling center that's gonna help all the broken marriages in our area and all the, the young people who are addicted to prescription drugs. Let's talk about building something that's gonna live beyond us, something that you can invest into uh, uh, your, your eternity, that when you pass from this life, they will celebrate that generosity. You got a heart for evangelism in this area? Let's talk about you know, creating our satellite campus in Knoxville. Let's, let's begin to invest in eternity together. Let's put our, our treasure in the kingdom of God so that our heart will then follow. Our heart will then be captivated by the work of the Lord. Now, some of you are, would say, you know, that 80% trend is just not enough. Like I can't live on 80%. And, um, and I would just say, yes, you can. It's gonna take some work and you're gonna have to cut out the fluff. You're gonna have to cut out the fluff of the expensive lattes every week and cut out the, you know, the, the nice car and, and uh, maybe the house that you can't really afford. And, and so there's some decisions that you're gonna have to make. You look at your closet and you keep buying stuff and things keep growing and came across um, Project 333 by a, a woman named Courtney Carver. And so she kind of, uh, she wrote a book about this and she, she basically got tired of just like the, the materialistic kind of culture she was in and she was buying clothes and constantly worried about what she was gonna wear and every day she was stressing about it. it would take a long time and you know, all of this stuff and she was just like, you know what, I need to do something drastic and so for three months, she decided to get rid of everything in her closet except for 33 items and so for three months, she wore and kind of rotated those 33 items. And at the end of the three months, she did a survey with people she worked with and realized that nobody even really noticed. <laughs> but what she noticed was her heart wasn't so just like spun and wound and stressed about how she was gonna look and you know, financially what she was gonna buy and build. And so this has really kind of taken off all over the country. And like I said, she wrote a book about it, blogs about it. And it's just part of simplifying your life. Like it can be done. I know some people would say only 33 items. <gasps> How could I have 33 pairs of shoes? What, a, you know, like what? It can be done, right? It's about managing our hearts. And so as we close today, we, we look at this practical, practical uh, method for how we can get our, uh, our resources in line with what God wants us to do. And so the challenge and the takeaway today is that we would begin to participate by actually putting God first. And so a little bit ago, they passed out these commitment cards and I wanna ask you guys to go ahead and take, take this card. And, and um, as we close today, here's, here's essentially what I'm asking. The first little box there says, I, I'm gonna commit to begin tithing. So that would be the person that's, that's not actually giving 10%, but 
But today you're gonna take this 90 day challenge. For the next 90 days, you're gonna say, I'm gonna give God 90%. And uh, we're gonna watch him provide. We're gonna watch him bless. We're gonna put him first. The second box is just that, that recommitment. Like for many of you, you are giving 10%. So it's just gonna be you saying, hey, I commit to continue giving 10%. And then the third one is I'm gonna commit to give above and beyond my tithe and contribute to the FC Vision Fund. And so I wanna ask you to prayerfully make that commitment today. As we close this service and, and this time uh, together, I'm gonna pray over our commitments. I'm also gonna pray over our giving because at this time we're also gonna give our regular offering. And so you can put your offering in the bucket and then I wanna encourage you to put this card in the bucket as well. And, and uh, let's take a minute to fill this out and let's take a minute to actually make what we've learned part of our life step into a freedom that we've never experienced and really trust God. At the end of the day, that's what, it, that's what it is. It's trusting that God is going to provide. It's putting him first. As you fill that card out, I'm gonna pray. God, we come to you now. And as so many in the room are seeking to make this commitment and Many who are probably a little nervous, maybe they've never done it. For those that have been giving, God, you're gonna encourage them to give a, a above and beyond. And God, what, what it is that, that we put down here today is, is a commitment of faith to you saying, God, we're gonna trust you. God, we're gonna, we're gonna give you control And God, we're asking that you would provide and meet all the needs that we have in our life. We trust that he will. Lord, we pray that what we, what we give would be used in this city to make disciples change lives, not only here, but all over the world. And God, we ask that your presence and power would just be felt. And God, we pray that we would be just committed I thank you for the privilege, God, of just leading this church. Thank you for the faithful givers, those that have given above and beyond for so many years. And so much has happened because of their generosity. Thank you for that. For those that aren't giving today, God, I pray that you would convict hearts and give us faith to overcome a lifestyle that would lead us to only focus on ourselves and only spend on ourselves. God, for those in the room who are not Christians, they, they've, never, they've never experienced Jesus. I, Lord, pray that they would know we're not asking them for any money. We're asking them to give their life to you. That, you, that they would experience salvation today. Lord, in this moment, we honor you bless you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com.